Jericho Road is a podcast and a Sunday school class and a ministry of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. These days, we're looking at the whole Bible through the lens of living water, and we hope you'll join us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Living Water, where we're trying to look at the Bible through the lens of water. Or more specifically, we're looking at Bible stories or people through water or the lack of water and finding some, well, some new friends uh, in a new way. And a couple podcast episodes back, we talked about the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to go back to Galilee today and talk about that body of water and its significance in a different part of the Bible. And a couple of episodes ago, I mentioned that most of the first three Gospels take place on the north shore of the lake, which is just 10 miles. In other words, over half the the half the whole story of Jesus takes place in a 10-mile arc on the lake. Think of the stories that you know. Think of the feeding of the 5,000 or the stilling of the storm. Uh, think of the man lowered through the roof uh, on a mat. I mean, think of the healing of the demoniacs. All these stories happen in just 10 miles. And the reason why it happens in such a small world is because that's where the fish are on the lake. That's where the water is shallow and there's grass there and the fish that they caught were algae-eating uh, tilapia. It's an African fish. And so they have to be caught with nets, which means that the stories of the Gospels are about real people with real jobs, real taxes to pay, real families to raise, real mouths to feed, right? Real things keeping up, up at night. So the stories of the Gospels are grounded in a real, real place, which for this reason, John chapter 21 is a mystery. The 21st chapter of John is the last chapter of that Gospel, and there are a couple things I want to say about John's Gospel. First of all, if the first three Gospels are rural, most of it happening in the Galilee on the lake, the 10-mile arc, uh, John's Gospel is urban. It's It takes place in Jerusalem. Uh, if the first three Gospels remember the festival of the Passover, which remember there were three major festivals they would travel to. It'd be Passover in the spring, Pentecost, uh, 50 days later, all these are harvest festivals, and then Sukkot in the fall, uh, John centers on Sukkot. It's a different festival. And as I've mentioned in past episodes, Sukkot has everything to do with water because at Sukkot you would pray for rain over the winter uh, so your crops would grow, you wouldn't die, and the high priest would pour water from the pool of Siloam on the altar, and they would call it living water. So in John chapter 7, for instance, he would call himself living water, which is part of the drama of that gospel and water uh, and those things. But but what I'm trying to say is that John's gospel only mentions Galilee uh, from time to time. There's just a few scenes that happen in Galilee. Uh, It really happens in Jerusalem. It centers in Jerusalem, except for John 21. Uh, John 21 is a scene with Jesus on the shore of the lake, and his friends are fishing again. And so for that reason, it's a mystery. Like why, why does it end with the Galilee? That's, that's the question that people would ask. Or why would the disciples be fishing again after Easter? Why would Jesus go back to the shore of the lake again after Easter? It's a mystery to the point that some of my professors in seminary, who were just sort of trained to question things like this, uh, they love to tear up stories and, and, and tear up old cherished beliefs, I think. Uh, they were educated in the 60s. But my professors wondered if this weren't a misplaced story, that this didn't belong in the beginning or in the, even in the middle somewhere and somehow got stuck to the end. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you that John 21 feels right to me. Uh, it feels right to me that John's gospel would end at Galilee with this 
tableau on the lake. And there are two clues that we're going to talk about in this podcast episode. One is the place itself, and the other is the text. So let's read a few verses of John 21. This is the last chapter of John's gospel. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Okay, it is now Easter, and they are back. Let's read a few verses, and I'll I'll see if we can't pull something out of this. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. By the way, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, then you'll find some. They cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, only about a hundred yards off. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Although there were so many, the net was not yet torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Well, as I mentioned before, there there are two clues here. One is in the text, and then the other is in the place, and the place is beautiful. That's the first clue. Uh, I believe that Jesus and his friends went back to the Galilee because naturally they would go back to the Galilee. If you've ever been there, you would go back to the Galilee. Uh, when I take groups to the Holy Land every year, I start, my, my trips always start by the lake and then we travel down to Jerusalem following the pattern of Mark's gospel. I want to give them a, a, an, a sequential experience, if you will, a sequential with the gospels as if we were traveling the, to the Passover festival for the last time. And people will tell me, oh my gosh, this is such a fun trip. And then they'll go to Jerusalem and they'll say, oh my gosh, that's interesting. And then they'll always add, but I sure wish we could go back to the lake. Everybody wants to go back to this lake. It's the lowest freshwater lake on planet Earth, which means that it sits down in a bowl, which means that the light above it is ambient and luminescent. Uh, Sunrise may come at, you know, (laughs) at six in the morning as it was for me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but but it's lit up like a lamp for thirty minutes before it just it, it looks like a it looks like a lava lamp. It's crazy. The weather is so pretty. And then in the winter time, as I've just mentioned, I was just there. There's, there's these misty clouds over it with rainbows just shooting out all day long. I, first time I ever saw that, I ran into the hotel we were checking in, I, and I I went to the hotel. I said, "Did you see the rainbow? Did you see the rainbow?" I just seen it outside. I took pictures of it. I, I was just smitten in the girl behind the desk with the broken English said, uh, do you not have rainbows at home? You see, they have rainbows every day there. And it makes me smile to think that Jesus lived in a place where he could see a rainbow and ambient light. I mean, of course they went uh, back. 
I think I mentioned it in a couple of episodes ago, but it's fun to tell you that during the COVID lockdown, uh, archaeologists and scientists were able to find things on the shore of the lake as well. Uh, They found biblical Bethsaida, which they had never found before. Biblical Bethsaida uh, would be a place on the easternmost side of that 10-mile arc. Uh, What they had is they had Capernaum, and they had Magdala, and they had places where they thought the feeding of the 5,000 happened, and they had a place where Jesus uh, would call the fishermen. I mean, they had stuff like that. But Bethsaida, they they had a spot that they thought might be Bethsaida, but what they had was either older than the world of Jesus or younger than the world of Jesus. And then during the COVID lockdown, they found Bethsaida just coming up out of the mud, just where the Bible said it would be, and it's it's beautiful. So now in the 10-mile arc, uh, it is complete now. You can find all of those places. I'm trying to say to you that it would make sense to me that they would go back. This is where their homes were from. I mean, this is where their children live. And then also remember at some point, we will have a mountaintop experience in our lifetimes, even with the disciples and Easter. But at some point, we've got to go back to work. Well, we've got to go back to the, quote, real world. Uh, I had a very, very wise mentor, uh, Bishop Stahl, who used to say to groups who would come back from a church weekend called Corsio, where they would be all hopped up and excited and worried about what, what it would be like to go back on Monday morning after having such a mountaintop experience. And, and Bishop Stahl would say, don't worry about going back to the real world. This is the real world. Let let this mountaintop experience color your new real world now and let Jesus be with you every day in your real world. But you still got to go back to work. So it makes sense to me that Peter and James and John and the other the other people who lived in that 10-mile arc where the fish are would simply go back to what they were doing, but change somehow. Maybe the ambient light was a little more beautiful. Maybe the rainbows were a little more colorful, but they would go back. So that's the place. There is a clue in the text, and it's a funny little verse that I read, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read back to you again. So, so 21, chapter 21, verse 4, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? Children, you have no fish, have you? The clue here in the text is children. However, children is not the word. It's not the word for a couple reasons. I mentioned few episodes back that I had an opportunity to fish on the Sea of Galilee with real Galilean fishermen, uh, a little bit of a, of, a, of a misadventure in that the, the original fisherman that I was supposed to work with I had lost his boat or lost his license or something and couldn't take me. And so we sort of found a couple guys on the dock, uh, Momi and Michelle, and they gladly took me out for a few shekels to have a real experience with Galilean fishermen. When it was found out that I was handy with oars, my job was to keep the boat steady while they hauled up drift nets, just like the Bible would say, except these nets are monofilament. And even though they didn't speak nary a word of English uh, in the Hebrew, we were able to do enough monkey see, monkey do while we were having a great time. Uh, Many people get to tour the Sea of Galilee, and they usually tour the Sea of Galilee on Jesus boats, which are just tricked out pontoon boats for the pastor and a group of people to have a moment, have a devotion, and they ride around. And it's actually pretty fun, pretty fun and kind of corny way to do it, but it, but it is nice. And you get to see the, the pretty ambient light and sometimes the rainbows, right? But on this day, I was on, on the lake with two pretty rough cut fisher dudes who reminded me of Jesus first calling the disciples. I mean, they, they weren't seminary track guys. As a matter of fact, these guys were pretty rough. And Momia saw that someone had dropped a net in his turf, and he was over there pulling it up, which simply means that Momi, we hauled up our nets. I knew exactly what was going on without even any English. We roared over there, and I held the boat steady while Momi 
proceeded to wail on this guy. He was trying to grab him by the throat and punch him in the face. All the while, Jesus spoke, came by, and I think we were ruining their morning uh, devotion, which is to say, I know that's a corny old story of mine, but it was pretty one of the most thrilling things in my life. Um, it reminds me that uh, these are not the kind of guys that would say children. Look, I, sometimes we pretty up the Bible so much with translations and, and with Bible words. We think that everyone would say thee and thou and everything would be all courtly. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus called rough men to be their disciples, and I don't think they called each other children on the shore of the lake. And this is where the text can help out, I think. The word, the Greek word is a word called padia, and it, it translates lots of ways. Uh, but the, the way that I think it most accurately translates is, and, and the, the King James Version says lads, I promise you, Jesus didn't say lads to uh, Peter and, and James and John either. But because they're speaking Aramaic, we've got to get down to the essence of the thing. And because I know Momi and Michelle, and because of my Galilean friends, and because I'm determined to say that Galilee is much like the American South, uh, I believe that there's a shade of meaning here that probably is not translatable to any any other uh, vernacular, if you will, except for Southern Southernisms, which is to say he probably said boys. Boys, there is boys. Hey, boys, y'all catch any fish? Hey, boys, catch any fish, have you? Uh, not children. Have you caught any fish? No, hey, boys, because they were his boys. They were, they've been his boys since they met on the shore of the lake. Uh, they were his pals. They had been in all kinds of adventures together, and they were his boys. Everybody in the Galilee uh, knows a guy. Everybody can, can find a guy. Everybody can find help. No way your car uh, will be left on the side of the road in the Galilee, and no way you have to lock your door in the Galilee. Everybody, everybody helps each other. Everybody knows each other, and they were his boys. So, so there are two clues that tell me that John twenty-one feels right. The first one is the place itself. The second one is this relationship uh, that he has. And then maybe I would say the third clue is to say, of course, we all got to go back. I mean, we got to go back to the real world, which maybe won't be the real world at all after we've been changed by Jesus. And then what follows is this exchange with Peter that I find to be absolutely remarkable and one of the most hope-filled and profound experiences in all the Bibles. Just a few verses past the ones I just read. I'm going to read them to you. This is the 15th verse of John's gospel to verse 19. So just four verses that blow me away. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, so this is sitting on the beach on the side of the lake, right? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which you would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus talks to Peter on the beach by the lake, the guy from Bethsaida where they found in the mud over the COVID lockdown that you can see today. This real place, a real fisherman. And he asked him three times, do you love me? And he asked him three times, do you love me? Because he wants to reverse a curse. It's, it's a story that Peter could only tell on himself. There's no way we would know the story unless Peter told it. And the story is remembered by all the gospels. And it's G Peter's denial of his best friend on the night of the trial. Remember what happens. Uh, I love 
Mark's version of the story, the, the disciples are warming themselves by charcoal fire. A little girl says, you're one of the Galileans, aren't you? And he says, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. He even curses his best friend's name. He caves before the accusations of a little girl while Jesus is fighting for his very life. I've got my own funny little story that's connected to this. Um, back when I right out of seminary, I worked in a church in Montgomery where we would do the Passion Play on Good Friday. We'd do it like a, well, with actors in a play. We all had parts. And, you know, someone was given the role of the narrator. Someone was given the role of, of Pontius Pilate. Someone was given the role of the high priest. Uh, and then we had a, a priest, an associate priest, who was given the role of Peter. Um, he was... Um, well, he's just a real country guy. We called him Cracker because his accent was so bad. And no one could mangle the liturgy like Cracker. I mean, he'd say the wood and the lloyd and all this stuff, that old, that old mush mouth, uh, South Alabama accent. And, and Cracker was really, really funny. And so we were, we were doing the passion play and the narrator said, well, the serving girl could tell that, uh, Peter was a Galilean by his accent. And then, then Jim Cracker said, I said, I don't know the man. And everybody just absolutely cracked up in church. I mean, we just absolutely fell out because that, you know, his accent was so bad. And that's not quite a Galilean accent, but I can imagine uh, that theirs were different. Well, Peter denied his best friend, even cursed his name three times. And here on the bank of that beautiful, beautiful lake, Jesus undoes the curse. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. It's a blessing. It's grace. Bathed in that ambient light, uh, Peter is able to start over, and he would be a man. He'd be the rock upon which Christ would build his church. He'd be a man saved by a second chance. Well, I hope this has gotten you thinking about John 21. It's a beautiful chapter. It's an important chapter at the end of a beautiful gospel. But just remember, it takes place by the water, and a lot of nice things happen by water. And it's no wonder that Jesus would want to go home. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Did you know we have breakfast all morning at St. Luke's now, and it is absolutely delicious. Beginning at 8 o'clock each Sunday morning, we take a steam table, we put it out there with lots of pre-wrapped yummy stuff from our own Jimmy Tracy, who makes breakfast from scratch that morning, and that includes scratch-made sausage biscuits, cheese grits, homemade donuts, and then something Jimmy calls a Sunday surprise, which could be anything from truffled eggs to salmon and capers to French toast, all out there available for you to purchase with your phone and a QR code and a donation, which means that if you want to have breakfast and come to Sunday school, you can have breakfast and come to Sunday school. If you want to go to Sunday school and have breakfast, do it that way. If you want to have breakfast and come at 11 o'clock, you pick the way that you want to enjoy food on a Sunday morning. Oh, and by the way, say hi to your friends. It is a lot of fun. It is delicious. And we want to see you. Breakfast at St. Luke's from 8 o'clock until noon. We will see you there.